Sunday, February the 27th. Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. So yes, we're, we're looking today, very appropriately it would seem, uh, about mission partnerships under the heading of Feasting February, a series which I understand will creep into March, so we're working out whether it's going to be Munching March or how we're going to rebrand it. Uh, so to, to look today um, at the mission partnerships that we have at Burlington, those agencies and friends that we support both locally and internationally uh, and asking why we do it. So uh, an interesting start there. See, in each of uh, the annual budgets of my Raising Families program, the one that I managed through Samaritan's Purse in Kyrgyzstan, I actually included a budget line simply entitled Drinking Tea. And anyone who has worked or lived in Central Asia will know exactly what this is about. But to be honest, I had to explain to my rather functional and business-oriented finance director that in order to even think about building trust and relationship in Central Asia, time and money spent drinking tea was an essential prerequisite. And before that... I managed a short-term teams program for Samaritan's Purse. It was called Discovery Teams, and its strap line was hungry to learn, eager to serve. I'm so pleased because it's feasting February that I could include these two illustrations. Now, regularly, British team members would visit homes and see their desperately poor host lavishly spreading out far more food on the table than they could possibly eat. And almost invariably, the response from team members was a genuine gasp of amazement, sometimes expressed as, oh no, you shouldn't have. And and privately to one another, we can't possibly eat all of that food. We don't need it. What a waste. They can't possibly afford it. I feel terrible about it. It wasn't my aim to take people on teams to make them feel terrible about things. But, and, but, but lavish hospitality is, and for many generations has been, a, a hallmark of many cultures around the world and can be seen, as we've already looked at, all over the scriptures. So our engagement, our connectivity with such generous and hospitable cultures, it does so much for us. It tears apart some of our preconceived, more task-oriented or productivity-driven values. And it, and it slowly rebuilds us, at least to the extent that we're hungry, forgive the pun, to learn and willing to change. And so it's that connectivity that I want us to look at today, and particularly in the context of mission partnerships, that this church supports and is invested into. So, currently, 
Burlington commits to giving away 15% of its income to those partners and initiatives, to something like 30 to 35 mission partners. Most of them are local to Ipswich and its surrounds, with a few around the world scattered neatly, albeit probably unintentionally, in North America, in Eastern Europe, in East Africa, and in Central Asia. And some of these agencies, excuse me, I haven't got a monitor, so, um, some of these agencies seek to envision, equip, and mobilize churches and believers, but most reach out in some form of service to the least, the last, and the lost from all faiths and none. And we could say that these agencies offer either discipleship or development or mercy in one form or another. I'm summarizing, as you can see, very briefly. Now, we don't invest financially into all 35, or to be honest, even regularly pray for them all. But to some degree, there is a meaningful and appreciated relationship with them, and one that in most cases definitely has the potential for becoming more meaningful and more appreciated and more impactful in the days ahead. So the question is this, why? Why, as a church, do we do this? Why? Surely we have enough opportunities to pursue and challenges to contend with within the parameters of our own church uh, and which can more than fully take up our time and our energy and our worry and our cash without taking on further relationships and responsibilities with others, eh? Well, we do this because, number one, we are called to go. In Luke chapter 2, Jesus said, Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Go! As an exclamation mark after it. I am sending you out. Matthew 28, you know it well. After his resurrection, Jesus came to the disciples and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore, go. <laughs> I'm not going to whip you up like some people would. Go will do fine for me this morning. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. What do we call this statement? The Great Commission. And the Great Commission is more than 10%. More than 15%. We are called to go. Mission partnership gets us out of our buildings and meetings. I'm sorry, this is the bit that's not appropriate. Brand new chairs but mission partnership gets us out of our buildings and meetings mentality. And with a few exceptions, the UK church really still basically works to what we often call an attractional model. And we do it quite well. Welcome. Come to this. Come to that. Big notice outside. In other words, come to where we feel safe. 
where we control the agenda, where we know what the culture is. We know what to do and how to behave. It's all one way. It's all on our own terms. We can lock up when we've had enough. We say come, but Jesus says go. And it's messier out there. It's complex. It's a bit scary at times. But at least it begins to address that power imbalance, the control imbalance, and it's where the real world lives. So, mission partnerships, number one, connect us better with our community, our society, and our world we are called to go. Number two, we need one another. Burlington Church, even with the dynamic leadership we have, has not got all the answers. We need one another. The New Testament speaks in the context of one church in a town or a region. It's scattered or segmented down into much smaller groups that usually met in homes. But the one church is who Paul was writing to. The church in Rome, the church in Corinth, the church in Galatia, in Ephesus, in Colossae, in Philippi, in Thessalonica. And I love it. I love it when we meet with other churches in town. I long for the day when the whole church of Ipswich, every one of its 60-plus congregations, somehow regularly finds a way to come together to worship God and discover more of his purposes for us. You know, it was a model that we helped establish a number of years ago in a, a town, a city really, called Karakol, northeastern Kyrgyzstan, not far, far from the Chinese border where to this day, every local church congregation shuts up shop one Sunday every month and comes together as a gathered celebration of the one church in the city. Paul wrote, as we've heard, thank you, Angela, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, all of them. He rejoices that their faith is being reported all over the world. He tells them how he constantly remembers them in his prayers at all times, how he longs to see them again so that he may impart some spiritual gift to make them strong. That is, he qualifies, that they and he may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. That was the reading we had read to us this morning. You could, you could do a whole series on just that, those few verses under this heading. And again, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, Paul wrote, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you all, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. We need one another. And to the one church in Corinth, Paul expressed his horror at the different denominations that he'd heard were popping up in the one church. He called them divisions and spent his first three chapters in 1 Corinthians urging them to think again about what it meant to be the one church in the city. We need one another. You know, it's the goal of a broken individualistic world to be independent 
But for a Christ-centered, redeemed, restored world, it's one of interdependence that is the goal. We need one another. Come over to Macedonia and help us. That was the dream, wasn't it, that Paul had. Thirdly, mission partnerships, they broaden us, they deepen us, they give us much greater perspective. Now, bear with me, I must be honest. When I meet someone who's been in the same small church for a long, long time, they've married into it, they know everyone in it inside out, but have had no other fellowship, engagement, instruction, challenge, or interaction with those of a different focus or other Christian backgrounds and cultures, I tend to find their spirituality becomes increasingly thin, their thoughts and conversation increasingly predictable, and their outlook quite narrow, too safe and contained for its own good. And bless their hearts, some churches I've sought to engage with in the former Soviet Union have, to their great credit, faithfully, miraculously survived 70 years of communism, but in doing so had become totally entrenched in more and more blinkered and nuanced beliefs and ways of doing things, which actually has made them utterly suspicious, not only of their community, but also of other expressions of the body of Christ. And to this day, to visit such congregations, and I must add in here, I've found very, very few of them in Ukraine, which is an extraordinary missionary-orientated church with some amazing missionary guys and girls around the world. But it's... um, it's, they've, They've created this thing which... Um, some of them which is is like stepping into a secret 1950s time warp, Um, have no idea to connect with other churches, yet alone the vastly changed world that surrounds them. Now, I could list some of the fundamental building blocks that have really formed my life, but a few of them may surprise you. Number one, when I was saved, darkness into light, no surprise there. Secondly, when I was baptised in the Holy Spirit, black and white turned into colour, I like to say. That won't surprise, surprise too many of you either. But here are some more. Education. I left school with zero qualifications and lived with that zero qualifications until I took the opportunity to do a master's degree when I was 51. It really broadened my understanding and thought processes. Fundamentally. Another one, history. My relatively recent fascination with family history has really helped me to see that life on this planet didn't start on the day that I or that the internet was born. And here's the one that's most relevant to today. Geography, travel, crossing cultures. So broadening, so helpful for deepening my perspective on life. I wonder if I may give you an example. Although I'd previously sneaked into Ireland and Belgium on a visitor's permit, 
I had no full passport until I was 30 years old. My first proper flight was to Delhi in 1982 to lead worship and to speak at a pastor's conference. And you know, up till then, and around about that time, I'd thought a lot about the need for God's people to be a separate, called out, holy people. And having engaged in some really quite dramatic deliverance ministry with people, this had only reinforced my view that believers should do everything they could to lead a life of holiness, to avoid occult and other bad spiritual practices. What I hadn't really seen was that this worldview contained more than an element of fear. But in Belgium, the Jesus People Church that had invited us to speak had people shooting up on the back row of the worship service. And in India... I stayed at a flat surrounded by neighbours who all had shrines and constantly sang incest-filled worship to foreign gods. I was shocked. I was troubled. It didn't fit in to my Christian worldview. But it was really good for me. And I had to learn that it is true that greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. I had to rethink how to fully engage as a Christian in a troubled and pagan world. Four o'clock this morning, in my torment of sleeplessness, I opened Luke chapter 15, and I was so warmed by the criticism of the Pharisees to Jesus when he said, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. (laughs) That did me good. I loved it. Crossing cultures. It helps us overcome our ethnocentricity. Now, we know all about egocentricity. It's all about me. It's a bad thing, very selfish. What we're not quite so focused or clear about is our ethnocentricity. It's all about us. And it's just as bad. It's probably worse because it contains so much baggage and unconscious bias. So... Engaging with mission partners is very broadening, life-forming, giving perspective. Can you take one more? Engaging with mission partners builds the church as a resourcing or sending church. In the Anglo-Saxon period, which I think was what helped me out, 5th to 11th century, something like that, some, or maybe uh, I'm not, Some churches were intentionally established as missionary teaching churches, and they were called minster churches. That's why York is a minster. York, Lincoln, one or two others. Today, minster churches, more often referred to as resourcing churches, have re-emerged as a popular diocesan strategy for growth in Anglican Communion. And such churches are seen not only to be models of good practice, but are invited to plant new churches, to develop mission-minded leaders, to share and multiply their resources and ministries across the wider church. Resourcing churches do a lot more than classic church planting. They do do this, 
And often the mother church almost dies in childbirth, giving their best away. But then, in the grace and mercy of God, he raises them up again to reproduce once more. But church planting and new expressions of missional communities are not the only ways to be a resourcing church. Such churches exist to give themselves away. They share with those in need. They send their people out. They send Matt and Joe to other churches, not to encourage others to do things their way, but, as is a great description for good mission, to see where God is at work and join in. I, I for one, I, I regularly get sent from here to speak at five or six different churches in Ipswich and surrounds. Um, at least five members of this church have been investing into the Church of England inspiring Ipswich process in recent times. Graham and Sherry are speaking today at Witnesham Baptist Church. And as well as, or even as an expression of my commitment to Burlington, I also have a tangible stake in the churches and missions in Azerbaijan, in Kyrgyzstan, across the Balkans. And as you can see from this week, it doesn't take much to reconnect with all sorts of people in other countries as well. Having mentoring relationships and friendships with missioners in a number of cultures and countries and locations. And I'm sure many of you can say the same. Resourcing churches take time to listen. They share their assets They provide expertise, facilitation. They support other ministries, local, national, and international. They network and they learn with others. They have a strong identity in themselves, but they're not insecure or precious about keeping it and keeping everyone to it themselves. And this is probably the most important thing of all. They don't think in terms of numbers gathered so much as numbers sent. So, I commend to you Mission Partnership, feasting at a rich and broad table for the sake of the kingdom and the glory of God. I plan to host and facilitate uh, something called Good Mission, a four-week course in April to look into local church mission partnerships, what is good practice, maybe some of the pitfalls to avoid, even crude things like what is value for money? How can we increase our awareness? How can we deepen our engagement? What are the issues of local versus international? Why we support what we support and who we support? And I plan to say more about this at a church meeting on March the 15th, but in the meantime, please just talk to me if you'd like to know more about this. And then, finally, um, this morning I've touched on a few stories, very few stories of my, from, from my own life. Um, I recently published my fourth book, Cutting Across Africa. I have some copies of that and others here this morning. Should you want to know more of my story, my work, my travels around the world, um, five pounds covers the cost of them. But if you want to give a huge amount more, I'll wait till you finish chuckling because the punchline is every penny of that I'm going to send to missioneurasia.org, my friends, and valued and uh, credible, accountable partners 
who were based in Erpen, who were stuck in Erpen near Kiev. They were going to relocate their team to Kishinev in Moldova, uh, but then the bombing of the airport that you'd have seen just northwest of the city um, has blown all the roads out, so they're stuck there. But they're doing a whole lot. I can show you the video, etc. MissionEurasia.org if you want to know more about their response. Thank you very much. Thank you. So, Simon, would you like to steer things from there? Great. Thanks, uh, Alan, so much. I just had that, that verse in my mind as Alan was drawing things uh, to a close. Freely you have received, uh, freely give. Uh, perhaps the band can come. We're going to use a song that, that helps us think about the way. Uh, that the, all that we've received is from Jesus and he's got more than enough to share around, wouldn't you agree? He's not going to run out of resource anytime, anytime soon. And as we, we think about all that we've received, we don't need to be tight with what we've got. We don't need to hold it with clenched fists. We don't need to be anxious about it, but we can freely give. And uh, as, as we give, so the life of Jesus uh, flows through us. It's not about being seated. It's about being uh, sent. It's not about being here for ourselves, but for the sake of uh, the the world. So we'll we'll use these these words of this song. You can stand and sing your heart out. You can remain reflective, and then I'll I'll lead us in prayer as we think about how, in order to be a church that resources others, we need to be lives that are, have a posture of uh, resourcing others. Thanks, Alan, so much.